This spoiler-filled podcast is recorded live, unscripted, and intended for those over 18. Now prepare your ears for the audio stimulation they've been waiting for all day as we step into the spoiler room. Yes, here we are. We are live on the spoiler room, a special spoiler room. If you're expecting our Tank Girl episode, don't worry. We will have that soon. But recent events inspired me to change up what this episode was going to be about. Number episode 60, we're going to talk about Wes Craven films, our favorite Wes Craven films, our first Wes Craven films. Basically, uh, you know, just kind of a celebration of the man who unfortunately passed away this past weekend. I've got a packed room tonight. We may even have some more join us in a bit. We're going to go right down the line. First off, we have the Dream Master himself, Cole Meredith, in the house. Hello, sir. Hello, Mark. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Glad you could make it to uh, talk about Mr. Craven. And right next to that yep. is is the BFD himself. It is Mr. One and Only Glenn Bittner. Hello, Glenn. Hello. <laughs> I, I was going to say uh, the Swamp Thing, Glenn Bittner, but uh, I didn't know how you might feel about that. <laughs> You're already spoiling my movie pick. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> And then next to Glenn is the lovely Mr. Andrew Shearer. How are you tonight, sir? Hey, man, lovely on a Wednesday night. You know how it is. <laughs> and his lovely partner in crime from their podcast, The Cult Core, we have the lovely Kate Owens in the room tonight. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Glad you can make it. And next to Kate, we have uh, the Bowtie Man himself. He has shown up once again from our nightmares, Mr. Paul Salzar. Paul, hello, sir. Hello. I actually was getting uh, into the horror movie mode by playing this game called uh, Until Dawn. Uh, I played it oh, most okay. of this weekend. Yeah, it's like being in a horror movie. So I'm, I'm very much in the horror movie mode. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you are, because we're going to be talking definitely about some horror movies. And Incubus! Incubus! I mean, Mr. Scott Davis is here with us tonight. Hello, Scott. <laughs> How are you, um, sir? Uh, well, so much for this being a somber occasion. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm doing good. I I'm doing good, Mark. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I don't want somber. We should be feeling good about what the legacy of, of Mr. Wes Craven, what he, he's given us. That's uh, true. That is think, absolutely true. And, and from what I've read on Wes Craven, I don't think he would want us to be necessarily somber. Uh, because, you know, the feeling from his movies were always, he made movies to tell a story he wanted to tell. And they weren't necessarily movies uh, that, you know, you would think would make it to the mainstream, but many of them did. And, and so tonight we are going to bring up some of those movies. And I want to start right now tonight with the lovely Kate. Kate, let's start with you. And why don't you give us either your, your first your first uh, Russ Craven movie or your favorite or both. Uh, go ahead. Uh, just give us a movie or two of Wes's that you really like to talk about tonight. Okay. So the first Wes Craven movie that I saw, and I remember it vividly, was... Um, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Oh, nice. Yeah, and I, I, mean, I hadn't seen the two before it or anything. I just saw this one, and I remember it so well because it 
fucking scared me so much and I couldn't I was terrified to sleep and I love to sleep but not after this and <laughs> it was just it was so it was such a it was such a frightening experience for me because I was maybe like nine or ten and um yeah so I'll always remember it because even though I was really scared I I kind of wanted to watch it again you know um, I'd see it on TV and maybe kind of stop and watch a few minutes at a time and flip away and then flip back. So, um, yeah, I knew that I, I liked horror, but after this, I knew that I didn't just like it, that I really loved it <laughs> and that I would never, yeah, I couldn't get enough. Um, so that was the first one. My favorite one though, and this is of the ones that I've seen, I haven't seen all of them is, um, last house on the left. Yay. Oh, nice. His first one. <laughs> yes. And I saw that for the first time when I was making my boyfriend's birthday cake. I thought I would <laughs> put on a movie to watch while baking. And, <laughs> and it was that. And I really liked it. But I thought about it a lot more and in a, a much different way when I took a film class my senior year of undergrad. And it was on the syllabus, which was a very good pick by one of my favorite professors and it kind of just gave me another illustration of how powerful film can be because it I mean I'd never seen something that could manipulate your emotions so well and that actually provided horror based on sort of how you're feeling about your own emotions because you're flip-flopping so often and you get sort of like a guilt about that. At least I did. And it's a very confusing experience emotionally. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of a, a big part in shaping me creatively and in the way that I think now just watching that again. So yeah, well, both excellent picks. Uh, last Thank house you. on the left uh, for me is always a disturbing watch. Uh, I rank it almost as disturbing as I Spit on Your Grave, but you have some of that West dark humor in there uh, that, like you said, you flip-flop between emotions in that film. Uh, Glenn, what about you? Last House on the Left uh, does it make you feel uncomfortable, yet at the same time you go, wait, I, sh I really should be like disturbed by this whole movie, but I'm not. Nope. Nope. <laughs> no. No, but I don't disturb easily. Sure. But I can see where uh, some people are mm -hmm. or would feel that way. Have you ever seen Yo Gabba Gabba? <laughs> no, that's disturbing. <laughs> uh, I think my point has been made. <laughs> I'm now picturing the people. I'm now picturing those things from Yo Gabba Gabba going, "Piss your fucking pants!" That's not like that. <laughs> but Last House on the Left. I mean, this is a film that he came, he wrote and directed uh, his first film, and it's what a film to come out of the gate with yeah. is is this movie. I mean. But you look at this film, and you, you can see his signature style all over it, wouldn't you say, Paul? Uh, definitely, definitely. I mean, it, he establishes a lot of the stuff that shows up years later, but even all the way up through Nightmare on Elm Street 3, uh, you know, his, his style, the way he can build tension and such, shows up there. Cool. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, that was kind of the last one where, even though he had 
Freddy kind of had his one-liners. He still was a pretty scary mofo uh, in that movie, wouldn't you say, Cole? Well, I well, I don't mean to pick anybody's choice apart, but Wes Craven didn't direct that, and his script was highly manipulated. I mean, if you read Wes Craven's mm-hmm. script, it's far different than one shows up on screen. Chuck Russell came in, director mm-hmm. of The Mask, and I mean, it's Wes Craven's script, but they added all this Christi- Christianity to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, I like all everything up until the remake, uh, it, and I like it, but it's not, you know, it does have a very odd, and then how they give Freddy a backstory. I didn't like the backstory, how the nun had been raped by all these, you know, I just, I didn't buy all of that. Uh, you know, was, that in, uh, Wes, was that in Wes's original script, though, with the backstory? I do or? not believe so. Wes's original script, uh, Nancy's house wasn't even in it. It, it mm-hmm. took place on a ranch house, and this is hearsay because I've never seen the script, but sure. this is, too, you know, in my infinite collection of Nightmare on Elm Street wisdom, the original story, the dream sequences revolved around the ranch house where Freddie was born. There was no humor, mm-hmm. and I've seen excerpts of the script, and it's, it's pretty foul. <laughs> um, it, it's a pretty foul, you know, it's it's like Nightmare on Elm Street 1 in terms sure. of grittiness. On the other hand, it is a Wes Craven film. I mean, you can tell it's got his imprint on it, but to me, it, that's just like Chuck R- Russell fantasy land, you know, when I watch yeah. it. Highly entertaining, um, and when I watched it, it was fun, but Nightmare on Elm Street 3 never, like, scared me. I always thought it was just a, a real uh, tentpole film for practical effects. Well, what about uh, Last House on the Left, then? What about that? Yeah, that's, that's an important movie. Again, you guys know I, I can't really do rape scenes. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just... And I, I've... You know, to Wes's credit, I don't understand how anybody can direct them. I, sure. I You know, I've been on a set... To do a sex scene is hard enough. The one I've directed, I cut. So, I, you know, I, I really... I, I don't understand really how anybody can direct that. Mm-hmm. I've done a prelude to a rape scene in Angels and Goblins and just about got ran out of the town with torches. Uh, <laughs> true story. Um, but I... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a powerful film. I've seen it once, maybe twice. You know, obviously, thumbs up. Potent filmmaking. Disturbing. But I can't... I can't watch that thing over and over again. It's you know it's it's the type of work that comes from an artist just willing to do whatever it takes to affect somebody. And I did it. I mean, I've got a scene in Highway's End where I, I piss blood, you know. And I look at that now. It's like Jesus Christ, what what was I thinking? That's on film forever, you know. Uh, it's like it's like the downward spiral or anything that comes out from an artist with a big chance. And a lot to say and a lot of demons to get out of the closet. And it's I recommend it to anybody who loves horror films. But, you know, I don't own it. I, I can't watch that thing anymore. And, uh, Scott, what about you for uh, Last House on the Left? Last House on the Left is, um, you know, and when I first saw the movie, I liked it right away. It was so hard, like you said with the, like, Kate, when you said, like, the flip-flopping between... Uh, all the emotions that you feel in it. It was so hard to gauge that. Now, I almost take that for granted. It's such a... It's... It was... It was Wes making movies... Wes, if you looked at... like some, I looked at some interviews earlier this week. I don't have any like biographies or anything around here, unfortunately. I wish I did, but I looked at a bunch of interviews this week after he passed away. And 
he this was he knew that he wanted to make movies, but he still said he didn't really know how to. He'd never gone to film school. He had he came from a background where you weren't allowed to see movies, so he never saw movies when he woke when he grew up. He saw maybe one Disney film a year, but he grew up in a very strict, strict, strict cr- Christian community, so you didn't see movies. When he went to college, same thing, strict Christian college. You didn't find out about how great movies were until he was teaching. Uh, and he knew right away he wanted to make movies. But he, so he, what I'm, the reason I'm saying that is that he had no formal schooling on it, but he knew he wanted to do it, and he was trying to do it, and he was hooking up with Sean S. Cunningham and stuff. And he got drafted to do this. Uh, this uh, apparently, this um, to hear him say it, this um, these theater exhibitors would actually hire people to do ultra ultra low budget things so that they could put it as a second bill in their theater. And this was designed as being like a second bill for I think Don't Look in the Basement. And so the reason I'm bringing all that up is that it shows it's Wes Craven still trying to figure having without having any discipline and that aids that movie so well because he doesn't have that discipline he doesn't say well here's where you should kind of hold back and here's where you would actually kind of more artfully but uh-uh it is this thing is like it's it's choppy it cuts in it just it cuts at your emotions like right away i mean it really goes for the heart and um I think that in a lot of other movies that might hurt it, in a movie like Last House on the Left, man, did that ever help. And so there's that one scene, like, after they, you know, violate the one... Like, the whole sequence when in the forest is just a t- horrifying thing. And there's that one sequence when they look at each other after what they've done, and even these bad guys who have done some of the worst shit in the world and would continue to do horrible shit for the rest of the movie... They just look at each other and say, Jesus. Like, like as if to say, like, what's wrong with us? And yeah, that bit is key. That bit is key to the movie, I think. Just that little excerpt there is just amazing. Absolutely, absolutely. And so it's like it's like little details like that that keep Last House on the Left from being another one of those kind of misogynistic 70s movies where the girls get raped and and it's an exploitation film. No, this one cuts a little deeper and it was so and it's such an important film and it's just that was like how he started out and how he was still learning stuff. It's just amazing, really. Well, it adds to the grittiness I think that you needed for a film like that. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean they I have not I honestly have not seen the remake. I had no I had no motivation to see the remake uh, of The Last House on the Left. It's actually it's, not that... Well, I, mean, I only saw it once in the theater. It's mm-hmm. actually not that bad. However, it, it you got to keep in mind that like, you're not going to see it. It's nothing, not going to be anything like it. It's This was like a $50,000 thing from somebody who is still learning how to shoot and edit movies. And this is, of course, a glossier studio film. Well, it's it, it goes right along the lines of them remaking "I Spit on Your Grave" too. You know, right. in all same honesty, I, it, you're not you are not going to produce even you know that same exact visceral, gritty, minimalistic filmmaking feel because you've got the bigger budgets right there. But 
Uh, yeah, Last House on the Left is one of the more disturbing films, uh, but excellent film. It's it's uh, what I think some good horror needs to do, and it needs to make you feel uncomfortable. Uh, and not just jump scare you, but make you squirm in your seat a little. And I think Last House on the Left really uh, helps do that. Uh, excellent pick there, Kate. Oh, thank you. Uh, I, I, I'm glad you mentioned that one. Paul, let's go with you. Uh, you can either bring up your first Wes Craven film, favorite one, or, or mention both. Uh, okay. Be my guest. Uh, I had originally thought that Nightmare on Elm Street was my first Wes Craven film, mm-hmm. but uh, in kind of preparing for this episode, I actually did find out that my first uh, movie was Swamp Thing. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we don't have to talk about that because I think one of our other panelists have that as their favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one movie that I do want to talk about is, uh, strangely enough, Deadly Friend, which was my favorite All right, movie. Right, man, Paul, you're the man. <laughs> Deadly Friend. Why don't you tell our viewers, our listeners, I say viewers, we don't have any viewers, but our listeners a little bit about Deadly Friend because I think that's a little lesser known Wes Craven film. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, basically a story of this uh, one uh, super like robotic genius, which really didn't make sense if you watch the film. Why he he is like the super smart genius of, with robots, <laughs> but he, he ends up building a, a robot helper, and then that robot robot helper sort of gets kind of jealous of his relationship with this. Uh, individual because you, you can see in the movie that he's kind of blossoming a, a, a really nice uh, a friendship with uh, what, with the lead you know the female lead of the of the film uh, and the the real thing that the real reason why I love this film so much is that the very end um, you, you see the 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 uh, robot and it, actually he goes back in and he kind of does the uh, the Herbert West thing, or he keeps he keeps experimenting when he shouldn't. You know, he should just stop <laughs> it. So he goes back and he 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 tries to like uh, see his his girlfriend. You know, this this love interest, and then she gets up and then pulls apart her face, and then you can see the robot underneath. And then in the voice, it actually says its name, BB. And from that 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 one scene is like one of the one of the things in my childhood that I will constantly, constantly remember. Uh, <laughs> May keep you up at night, did it? <laughs> it did at that time. Sure. Now, yeah. you know, not so much, but mm-hmm. it's just an amazing scene because I didn't expect it for first of all, uh, because I thought, you know, at, at the it movie ended in a kind of very kind of a sort of a happy, sad ending, but I expected it to resolve there. And then when you actually get to the... Uh, to that scene, and then just just having her peel her, peel her face basically off, and and revealing the robot underneath, it was just amazing, and just mm-hmm. and and there were some really nice uh, uh, characters, you know, they or uh, actors. Uh, they had the uh, Matthew uh, from uh, Little House on the Prairie. Mm-hmm. Remember him, uh, Albert? Yep. I think was his character's name on that show. Uh, and they had uh, uh, Christy Swanson was in there. So uh, Buffy. You know, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, the original Buffy. The, the original uh, Buffy. And Charles Flesher, the voice of BB. Voice of BB, yeah. And I didn't know it at the time, but yeah. <laughs> uh, Deadly Friend, Andrew, your thoughts uh, on this film? 
I just love it. I mean, I don't want to go all into lots of detail and stuff because we got out so many people here. But I, it had a huge influence on uh, one of my first movies I made, Frankenclit. Uh, but more so, it had um, the best head crush. Oh yeah, one of, the, one of the best head crushes in movie. Any list you see of head explosions or head crushes that doesn't include de- deadly Fr- is bullshit. I'll just, I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> and the ending is similarly weird to the ending of the first Nightmare on Elm Street. It has a very oddly tacked on, uh, kind of almost tonally wrong uh, ending, too, um, for those who, who remember it. But, uh, I, man, Paul, thanks for mentioning Deadly Friend. I almost was like, I'm going to pick it just because I think no one oh, will. Great. And then you did, so that, that that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> the, the kid is just amazingly, like, like I said, it was he's like a Herbert West character. He keeps experimenting. He implants the BB chip in 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 Samantha to resurrect her, and just come on, you knew this is gonna go bad. Everything about everything as you're watching this film is don't do it, don't do it, and he'll do it anyways. And that's what made I think that's what made the story really exciting. Yeah, you know? If you want to see the uh, uh, Anne Ramsey, is that her name from Goonies? Get her true comeuppance, man. <laughs> <laughs> friend, man. Oh God, what a great head crush! Look at on YouTube. You don't even have to watch. Just look at it. Awesome. <laughs> Kill Mama with a basketball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Old Ann Ramsey. Yeah, she uh, <laughs> definitely was an interesting uh, a character actress back in the day. Uh, she's a really good. She's a really good character actress. Yeah, she yeah. was. She was. Yeah. And uh, Glenn, what about you with uh, Deadly Friend? Oh God! I don't even know the last time I saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> been a while. <laughs> it's been a long while. Sure. Uh, uh, Cole, what about you? Have you seen Deadly Friend at all recently? Yeah, or? yeah. I I love Deadly Friend. You know, I like literally every Wes Craven movie. He was oh, wow. one of my five favorite directors. I even like Cursed. You know, I like uh-huh. them all. Um, Deadly Friend is great. As Andrew mentioned, the ending is totally wrong because that's a studio-imposed ending. It's a reshoot that he didn't want to do. Um, but it works. I mean, for what it is, it works just fine. I like that um, Paul mentioned Herbert West because I, I get that from this. <laughs> Christy Swanson is great. I mean, it's a fun movie, especially, you know, seeing it as a teenager with the basketball and the exploding head. It's just fucking gold. <laughs> <laughs> Kate, how about you with uh, Deadly Friend? I haven't seen it, but I think I need to see it now. I mean, oh, you should check I mean, it out. It sounds awesome. I, I will say, uh, myself included, I've watched many films. Unfortunately, I, I've only seen clips from Deadly Friend. I haven't watched the whole thing, so uh, I failed there. But, yeah, it's on my list too, Kate, so I, I'm right with you there. I mean, basketball and exploding heads, you've got me. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, anything to add about Deadly Friend? I feel ill-prepared because I was um, and I was rewatching some of my favorite Wes Craven films uh uh, after he passed away, it's like one of those things where you real, you know, he, somebody passes that you love so much, and so you kind of start to look at your at, at the stuff again, again, and everything. But I gotta admit, I meant to get to Deadly Friend. I have not gotten to Deadly Friend yet. So, oh well, we definitely have one on our list then. I mean, Wes did make quite a number of films, so uh, try to see them all. I but... mean, I have, I haven't. I mean, I saw it, but I haven't seen it for like 20 mm-hmm. years, so I don't think I could comment, unfortunately. Oh, and entering the room, welcome to primetime bitch himself, <laughs> Derek Carey has joined us. Hello, Derek. Hey, guys. 
Uh, I'm, sitting, uh, I'm sitting here waving, forgetting that I have my webcam turned off. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda decided to come and join me tonight to talk about Wes Craven. Hello. Hello, Amanda. Hi. Don't mind me. I'm cleaning the leg of a baby lamb so we can eat it for lunch tomorrow. I'm multitasking here. Oh, that's okay. We're we're all uh, just audio only tonight, so you can do whatever you, <laughs> you can do whatever you want there. Okay. Uh, but just remember, we can hear everything. Uh, so. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. on, that, yeah, on that note, I'm turning the camera off. Yeah. I'll let you guessing as to if I'm cleaning a lamb or killing Derek. Well, uh, excellent choice there, uh, Mr. Paul, with the deadly friend. I, I will, I'm glad someone brought that up yeah. because it, it is a film that I think people have seen clips of but don't realize you know the full film. I also remembered one of the other reasons why I liked the film because the main actor is named Paul. I forgot all oh, about that. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Not a bad reason at all. I've I've heard of you know far worst lesser reasons. Re- worst yeah. reasons for yeah. for enjoying a film. Uh, and it's got Christy Swanson in it, which oh, you know, yeah. n- never hurts. <laughs> never hurts. So uh, let's go then to uh, Scott Davis's. Choice of tonight. Uh, uh, you can mention your first one, and and your favorite one. We can uh, we'll pick which one to talk about. Can you can can you come back to me for my favorite one? I'm I'm, I'm gonna be a real selfish prick here because <laughs> I have like about like th- there's honestly like three or four Wes Craven films I could pick as my favorite. Okay, I, we'll, we'll 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 come back to you then. I would swear to God, and I'm just like waiting, like you know, if somebody else has it, like let you take, let you guys take care of it because I'm, I know, and I'm sorry. Well, well, that's okay. We'll come back to you. Uh, We'll hopscotch here and head to Glenn. Glenn, why don't you tell us uh, your first Wes Craven film, and then possibly your your favorite Wes Craven film? My first Wes Craven film would be Swamp Thing. Yay. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> the film, uh, the comic book film that came out before comic book films were cool. Uh, yes. <laughs> is that your favorite as well, or? Um. Well, my favorite. He didn't really direct, but he mm-hmm. was one of the writers, and that would be Fat Boys. Are you ready for Freddy? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's a yeah, great. Boy. That's a great video too. Uh, <laughs> no, my, my my favorite would be uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, why don't you tell us about Swamp Thing? Because uh, you know, comic book movies nowadays are all the raging, you know, uh, thing at the box office. Uh, Swamp Thing. <laughs> why don't you tell us a little bit about that and why you why uh, how you know how you came out? Did you see it in the theater or uh, how did you come about to see Swamp Thing? Well, uh, Swamp Thing, I saw actually, not in the theater, I saw it on um, HBO. Oh, yeah. You mean when they watched it? times. <laughs> when, they show, when they showed movies on HBO? Yes. Uh. And they would only have like eight that they would show on rotation. <laughs> so I saw that one a lot. <laughs> That's a whole heck of a lot. (laughs) And it is based off of the DC comic. Wes did write the script. Yeah. Uh, Why why don't you tell us a little bit? Why don't you tell us a little bit about Swamp Thing? Well, I mean, it's you have a dude who gets covered in chemicals and turns (laughs) into a plant monster. 
And it Almost. stars uh, that other guy, um, Adrian, Adrian Barbeau. Oh, other guy? Other guy? <laughs> what, which version did you watch? Because I watched it. She definitely wasn't a guy. Well, that other guy had some of the biggest breasticles I've ever seen. Yes. <laughs> Only the international <laughs> version, guys. That's true. That's true. Uh, uh, any favorite scene out of uh, Swamp Thing that you enjoy? Because uh, they worked that one on a limited budget as well. I think three mil. Oh, I, I believe there's a scene where he pretty much just like grabs a guy by the head and just kind of like crushes him into the ground, pretty much. Oh yeah. There's yeah. also the uh, Swamp Midget. Oh yeah. <laughs> Bruno. So, yeah. <laughs> the the lovely Bruno. Yes. What a great you know, and what a great that's uh that's such a good character actor. That's Nicholas Worth. From mm-hmm. Don't Answer the Phone, uh, who she plays such a scumbag in Don't Answer the Phone, and he's kind of love, almost pathetically lovable in Swamp Thing. And don't forget, he was also in Darkman there. Yeah, yes, yes, he, he was. was. He was, which if you haven't caught our Darkman episode as part of our 25th anniversary specials, go back and listen to that when you're done here. Uh, <laughs> shameless plug. Uh, but yeah, Swamp Thing is, is a great choice. I, I recently revisited that film, and uh, it, it's impressive what he did for you know their you know what they were attempting to do back in a day when all you really had was Superman or the '60s Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Cole, your thought on Swamp Thing? I you know I love it. I I just just as a brain teaser, I came up with my top ten Wes Craven films, and this was just definitely on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I I haven't seen it in in probably a decade or more mm-hmm. actually. So I, I can't really pick out specifically what I liked about it, other than that it was gorgeous. I love murky settings. You know, I love that sort of vibe that you get. I think swamps are beautiful. I think desolation is beautiful. Um, and I, I just I remembered it being just a gorgeous film to look at. Um, yeah, that's that's what I remember about it primarily. And what about you, uh, Mr. Carey, uh, Swamp Thing? Uh, any special moment out of Swamp Thing for you or special thoughts about it? Well, Swamp Thing for me, like Glenn, I remember seeing it rotate constantly on HBO and on cable television, so I saw it quite a bit growing up. But um, my my real thoughts on it, I much prefer Jim Wynorski's sequel than than the original Swamp Thing film because there's – there's something about the Swamp Thing film that feels half done and feels a little. It's something that feels rushed about it, um, where there, like uh, Cole had said, there, there's kind of like this beautiful, murky, kind of almost depressing tone to the entire thing. Um, yet it still is kind of hokey and doesn't work in a lot of ways and it's not I don't think Wes Craven ever really wanted to do a faithful adaptation of, of the Swamp Thing comic um, but even if you were to just take it as its own film it just it doesn't work all that great for me I much I much like the return of the Swamp Thing uh, that Wynorski did years later well yes Return of the Swamp Thing is a much better film. And and the original Swamp Thing I only liked because it was one of my first, like, you know, real comic book movies that I got to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had actually read some of the Swamp Thing comics thanks to a friend of mine. So just seeing that on, on screen, that wasn't a uh, Corman 
version of superheroes mm-hmm. was was a very welcome thing for me at age. What was I, 11? Yeah, I was 11 when this came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. There's some really cool stuff, and I mean, it's super dark. I mean, compared to a lot of uh, other comic book films that came out, or even around that that era, like these guys that were talking about Superman and things of that nature, it was a super violent and dark film, which, let's be honest, Swamp Thing, the comic book's a pretty dark comic. Mm-hmm. So at least, yep. I mean, in, in that way, tonality-wise, it, it accomplished what what the original source material was. Well, well, and I, I mean, I, it, it's dark in that it surprised me because it's been so many years since I watched it and revisiting it. It did surprise me how dark it was, but there's, uh, I've got a favorite character in here, and he wasn't a major character, but he was still so much fun, and he's a kid. His name is Jude, and the bad guys actually kill him mm-hmm. <laughs> in this. Uh, Andrew, what what about that? I mean, that you don't see that kids die that often in films, especially back then. Uh, Toxic Avenger. Well, exactly. okay, yes, Toxic Avenger. It's not a Wes Craven movie ever. No. Jude, no. Jude didn't die, though, did he? Because uh, don't yeah. I, re- I thought I remembered him in like the last scene. Well, no, he doesn't. He gets revived back by the Swamp Thing. Oh, right, right, right. I'm but sorry. he is—he yeah. is initially, at least, it's implied that he—he's bleeding from his head. He's—he's he's bleeding from his head. Mark just likes to talk about kids dying. If anyone heard the Human Centipede too. <laughs> <laughs> Next episode of the Spoiler Room is murder set pieces. Uh, I, I do not. I just find it. Interesting when it shows up in film because oh, it's usually man, he gets smoked like a pack of cool. What I love is how well that was directed, though, where where Jude gets it from the bad guys because it's off camera, but there's sound, and then we get just this floating boat with the kid's body in it. It's like, wow, that, that kind of like didn't expect. That comment. Uh, <laughs> uh, Kate, have you seen Swamp Thing? I have not, but again, it it sounds like I need to. <laughs> <laughs> what What about you, Paul? I have seen it, and it is actually a, a special movie to me, uh, in that it was when I was a kid. I used to imagine myself being a characters, uh, being a character in the film, and this was one of the last movies that I had done that that I remember doing that. You know, I used to do it for Star Wars and, and stuff like that, uh, which I think it was a good thing that I got out of that habit because if I would have watched Nightmare on Elm Street and pretended I was a character in there, I think I wouldn't have survived my teenage years. <laughs> but, yeah, I remember that this movie is, is one of the last movies that I pretended that I was a character in the film, you know, like I was I was either uh, um, the doctor, you know, something like that. And it just it, – it, as a kid, it was really cool to be able to play – a character, you know, mm-hmm. and it, that's why this movie has a special uh, place for me. So awesome! Well, it's just an interesting character to pick for a comic book film. In all honesty, I mean, especially since you had, you know, your Superman, uh, you had your '60s Batman. You uh, this was done in '82, so what? Flash Gordon was out uh, that previous year, was it? Because Flash Gordon was at '81 or is that '80? I always forget. '80. 80. 80. So, I mean, you only had, like, Flash Gordon in that. Yeah. So, 
it's interesting to pick from the characters. They picked Swamp Thing. Uh, Scott, what about you? Uh, I what I liked about it was Adrian Barbeau's character. What'd you think about her? I mean, she was a pretty badass for an '80s film. <laughs> Wouldn't you say? Adrian Barbeau was uh, yeah. She was now my dad had my dad had. Um, a thing for her, I remember at the time, which is kind of funny because I couldn't figure out why he was so attracted to Adrian Barbeau and Lonnie Anderson at the time. Because I'm like, because <laughs> I'm like, you know, I was, I mean, actually, I I think that Adrian Barbeau is actually quite attractive in like other movies and such, especially like Escape from New York and even like later movies like The Convent and stuff. But um, the uh, but. Uh, uh, I was like, "What's he seeing see them? There's so much makeup." So then, of course, I discovered like what, like, br- oh, breasts, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really funny if you ever knew how like very straight laced and serious and that my dad is. But no, I liked Swamp Thing. I'd never got to. I remember seeing all the ads for this in the comic books that I was getting. And I never got to see it in the theater. I didn't even know if it was playing anywhere nearby where I was. I got to see it years later when it finally. I don't even know if I even got to see it on HBO. I think I had to wait till it hit syndication because I think my family had made the switch to Showtime and they weren't showing it on Showtime. And I'm like, oh my god, I've got to wait so long for this. It's, it's, this is exactly what you would expect when you take the old, like the uh, basically the mid '70s incarnation of Swamp Thing, you know, pre Alan Moore Swamp Thing. Say like, yep, we're going to make a PG rated film from PG rated film based on this character, and the guy who we're putting in charge of it is the dude who just did Last House on the Left and Hills Have Eyes. This is what you get. <laughs> Yes, a comic book film with nudity. With, with in the international version, they cut it out for us puritanical shitheads in the United States. But in the international version, you can you can see the nudity, and also you get that's where you also get like you know robes of absolutely murderous thugs. Uh, uh, Krug is in there for God's sake. <laughs> David Hatch is in this thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's a fun film. It's fun to see what they did with early. Uh, you know, comic book films, and they try in this again. Lower budget. He is mostly like the Hulk in this, in which he he tromps around the swamp and crushes things. Though he does have a few special abilities in here, uh, but even in here, you can see some of Wes's style, the way he builds tension uh, in this film. You know, you you can feel it. I think in some of these scenes in the way he directs some of them. And Adrian Barbeau, I mean, her character, it's like she's getting shit from all the guys in this film. And the minute she sees the bad guys, she's out there socking the biggest one in the head, going to grabbing an AK-47 and starts popping guys off without blinking an eye. She was just fun to watch in this movie. If nothing else, folks, see it for her, but... It, you know, it, it's fun. It's got camp. It's got cheese. But there are a lot of great moments, and you can see a lot of signature Wes Craven style in here. The way he directs some of the scenes, I think, are you know, the way he handles some of the characters. Again, we have a strong female character in a Wes Craven film. Uh, you know, and and that shows up in some of his other films later on as well. Uh, so yeah, Swamp Thing. <laughs> I, lo- I love Swamp Thing, and uh, I'm 
we'll, we'll talk about Nightmare on Elm Street, too. I'm sure uh, it might be on uh, someone's favorite list, and if not, we'll, we'll come back to that one, Glenn. But uh, glad you mentioned Swamp Thing because, like I said, with all the big hoopla over comic book films that people that we have now, uh, you got to put it in context of back then, not many people did these or tried these. And I think Wes caught the spirit of it, even with the wipes that he did, to make it feel like frames from a comic. Andrew, you want to mention uh, either your first Wes Craven film, your favorite one, or both? You can go ahead. I can do, yeah. Um, there was some, apparently, word of mouth about the first Nightmare on Elm Street was so strong uh, when it was out that my dad just took me, even though I was afraid of horror movies, I didn't want to go. Um, I couldn't, apparently there was no one around that could watch me <laughs> that night. <laughs> so he and his brother went to every horror movie, and I, they just went. And I can remember them saying, like, uh this is just previews, keep your head down. And so I just hid my eyes for, you know, what felt like eternity, but it was, you know, an hour and a half or whatever. And, um, <laughs> what a mean I, prick. I got, to, I got to, I got to school on Monday and another kid had seen it and he was like, did you, you know, he was talking about it and telling everybody. And I was like, oh yeah, I saw it too, trying to be all tough, but I couldn't tell him shit that happened. And I actually watched it. Um, <laughs> So probably uh, my first proper one that I watched was yeah one of the you know on video I caught probably uh, Dream Warriors or one of those but uh, my favorite and I honestly don't give a fuck if anyone here doesn't like it is Vampire in Brooklyn. That's my Ooh, yeah. nice and, Vampire and, uh, in Brooklyn. Yeah, so I I don't actually care to hear if someone doesn't like it, but I I really love um, Eddie Murphy <laughs> and I think um, there's very few instances on screen where he does something other than the funny guy that everybody kind of expects him to be. Uh-huh. And there's varying accounts, but I like the most recent one in the video that Scott posted where Wes Craven talks about how Eddie Murphy really wanted to be scary in the film and, um, in fact, was a big fan of Hills Have Eyes. And uh, that's why he wanted him for the movie. And um, I... Uh, I just I like the what we would call the urban horror movie, but let's face it, it's really like black horror movies. Everyone here knows I love Blackula, and um, seeing Wes Craven, who I loved, I was, you know he's a hero of mine at a young age, and also Eddie Murphy working together. But Vampire in Brooklyn is seriously good. Like it's got comedic things. Obviously, you can't make an Eddie Murphy movie without putting comedy in it. But he's seen here playing multiple characters, just like he does in a lot of his other movies. But to me, it's just a beautiful story. Angela Bassett is in it, gorgeous. The makeup effects are awesome. And John Witherspoon, one of my favorite. I mean, John Witherspoon, I quote him all the time because he says, the only thing I turn down is my collar. He says this is his favorite movie he's ever been in, and John Witherspoon was in Friday. Mm-hmm. So um, really, like, uh, the night that it came out, I'll never forget. I was so pumped, but it was um, Daylight Savings, so I was wrong about the time. So I waited like an hour <laughs> outside the theater to watch Vampire in Brooklyn. And um, it is the one I've watched the most. It's the one I feel like seeing the most. Uh, and to me, now that West Craven is, is gone, uh, it t- t- is one of the times, like with Swamp Thing, um, like with Music of My Heart, um, where I feel like he was, even though it was horror, I think he was really trying hard to make it something else too, mm-hmm. and um, it's not a well-liked movie. It wasn't a well-received movie, um, but um, to me, it's like I, it's the one that I watched the most because uh, 
there just aren't enough movies like Blackula in the world, and Blackula is one of my favorite things that the universe has ever produced, and it's got a lot of similarities to Blackula. But Kadeem Hardison's character, who was in the movie Death by Temptation, um, yep, yep. He, he like <laughs> is he becomes the familiar, so he's falling apart. His body is falling apart throughout the movie. It's got a lot of really funny stuff, but Eddie Murphy, when he is scary. As this character, he's truly terrifying. And the film's most powerful moments are when Freddie Murphy is just playing straight and being. Mm. So um, not unlike, you know, people could talk about Wes Craven, you know, what would he have been like if he had had more opportunities to just do what he wanted? I wonder the same thing about Eddie Murphy because we're never going to really, I don't think, get to see what he really can do. We only got these little bits here and there in his other movies. And this is one time where he got to do that and I'm just glad it was Wes Craven who provided the venue for it because, um, you know, fucking A, Vampire Pro. I love it so much, dude. Thank you for doing this show so that I could say that. No, it, yeah, it's it's a decent film. It really is, and it gave Eddie Murphy a chance to do something a little bit different, and you're right. I think in the hands of, of a different director, it probably would not have been handled the way you would want this story to be handled because uh, Eddie Murphy wrote the story for it or co-wrote the story uh, on this film, and it is a very interesting Eddie Murphy film, especially for when it came out and where Eddie was at in his career. Uh, you know, just he's funny man guy, and then here he is playing this vampire and doing a very good job on the scary bits. Uh, Derek, a vampire in Brooklyn. Um. I think I think I agree with Andrew the fact that when Eddie Murphy I like the character design at times of Eddie Murphy and when when he was doing the straight vampire shtick it actually did work uh, with the film. Yeah, it, it I like some of Eddie Murphy's better straight stuff than when he was doing comedies, especially in the Girls, movie. man. I don't want to make this about Eddie Murphy, but jeez, dude, he's <laughs> so good in Dream. I'm so mad at him. For not doing more serious roles. <laughs> Do you don't think it's necessarily his fault, though. I mean, it's right. just like with any great actor, when you get pigeonholed into being, you're a comedian, that's what, you know, studio execs, what they perceive you to be, and that's what you're going to get the parts for. So I, I think, you know, he has to make a living just like everyone else does. So he, he saw that opportunity, he took it, and he ran with it. And, uh, I mean, all of us, the the real fans, will know the little bits and pieces of his career where he actually like stretched what his talents were. But uh, it's an unfortunate aspect of Hollywood is when you're known for something, that's kind of what you're going to be doing. Well, that's what Wes did yeah, right, in it, those interviews. He says, I mean, you know, he just. <laughs> that's and that's what, what happened. That's so what happened with. Second, so once you do the second movie, he said, you know, second horror movie, that's what you are. He says, you got to own it. And uh, I think it was the same thing with Murphy, uh, in a way. Yeah, it, it really was. Uh, I mean, but, Wes wanted to do more. Go ahead, Scott. I just. Um, Thanks for picking that, Andrew. Uh, God bless you. I know that you always pick the interesting movies. Um, and um, that was actually when I heard of his passing, and I told you I said, mentioned I was like revisiting some of my favorites. I also, because that one was on Netflix, I said, you know what? I have not seen that since that thing hit VHS of Vampire in Brooklyn. And I never saw it in the theater. I only saw it the one time. And I think when I was in college, I just wasn't ready for the tone of that movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
when I rewatched it, I was like, you know, this is a good movie. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, could it have a better balance? Sure. I mean, could it have because you have kind of some stuff that's a, a really out and out wacky, like uh, the Kadeem Hardison and John Witherspoon stuff. And then, as you say, though, the most interesting stuff in it is Eddie Murphy is, and he has he has some com- comedic bits too. He even does the thing where, like, he was doing with Coming to America, and then later on, Nutty Professor, uh, where uh, he would uh, be different people for a little bit, and he was great as those different characters. He plays like a evangelist, a, a preacher at one point, and a uh, a uh, an Italian uh, pick. Uh, Hold up, man! At one other point, yeah, it's like coming to America a little bit, you know. It's, yeah, like he just wested. Uh, people under stairs had great with black characters and was yes. considered a oh, horror movie too. Yeah. And I, yep. I think that um, I think God, I would just love to because they we could, we all know and it's the cliche they aren't here, handled responsibly very often. In no, horror. he does it so well in this though. With Murphy's character is fantastic. I mean, he is so chilling. You know, right up to the end, I told you you were a killer. Like, good God, he was. I mean, he. He owned this part, and plus Angela Bassett, who's just a fantastic actress anyway, and this is when she was getting some of the best roles of her career. Uh, yeah, it's a, it was, it's actually a, you know what? I was so happy that I revisited it this last week because I was looked at this and I'm like, you know, this is a really interesting movie actually. <laughs> and Cole, what about you with Vampire? Well, this is uh, Eddie Murphy is a hero of mine. Beverly Hills Cop is one of the few flawless films that I've ever seen. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. absolutely perfect. He was my hero for still is my hero. This came up from a point in his career when he there was a disconnect between him and the projects because he didn't want to be funny. Same thing happened with Beverly Hills Cop Three. He refused to do any any shticks. You watch Beverly Hills Cop Three, you'll see there's. Very little of Axel Foley in that. He was going for like a Wesley Snipes type of thing. And I'm not a big John Landis fan for obvious reasons, but even John Landis said he wouldn't be funny. Uh, and same thing with Wes Craven said in that interview that Scott so graciously, graciously posted. Uh, he just, you know, he, Wes wanted to make a comedy and he couldn't. Uh, that being said, it's a, it's a great movie. I mean, you know, I, I know, you know, maybe a little bit too much behind the scenes to fully appreciate it, but I like it. I mean, I really think it has style. It has a vibe all of its own, and um, films like this are rarely made, as Andrew so uh, rightfully pointed out. Like Blackula, I mean, this is uh, this is a this is a good movie. If if <clears throat> if Eddie Murphy had maybe realized that, hey, I'm not directing, <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm in front of the camera, and maybe done a little bit more of what Wes had wanted, the film would have been more coherent but who am i to say i like it you know i watch it i watch it frequently so sure. excellent and glenn what about you sir what about me and this movie <laughs> <laughs> you say I, so I, much with so little glenn i love it <laughs> I, I i think i will make andrew very happy in my opinions of this movie i love this movie mm-hmm. i uh gosh i don't know how many times i've watched it and I mean, I, I got a kick out of out of uh, Eddie Murphy doing his his shtick with plethora characters and stuff. And yeah, um, I love uh, Witherspoon as well. He is. I, I think he's actually in every movie. You just don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> 
He's in a lot of films, yes. Yes. <laughs> but but he's in great in all of them too. So he is. He is. And, um, and I mean, I just I don't know. It's it's. I used to. This would be a type of movie. I you know I would have at one point called my one of my guilty pleasures. But you know what? And I don't feel guilty about liking this. So it's not a guilty pleasure. There's no such thing. I take yeah. pleasure, and I'm not feeling feeling guilt from it. So, and yeah, well, and I think we've established a while back that we all believe there are no such things as guilty pleasures. You like right. things, or you don't like things. Yes. So, and yeah, Angela Bassett, <laughs> and she still looks the same. I know, right? <laughs> I think she is a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> Well said. Only the only redeemable thing about the freaking American Horror Story, the craft episodes, was her. <laughs> the craft episode that's coming, great. whatever it was, but it was yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, she was she was great. She was some of the best parts of those episodes, and very talented actress. Uh, Kate, what about you? Uh, any thoughts with Vampire in Brooklyn? I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know. It always looked like something that I really wanted to watch, and <laughs> I'm I'm going to watch it now. I have to tell you my favorite quote, man. Somebody mentioned the preacher characters. He just says, "Uh, evil is good, and ass is good. And you find a piece of the evil ass, woo!" <laughs> I don't know how you follow that one up, but uh, Paul, you have any thoughts with Vampire? <laughs> um, I, I actually have to say that I did buy into the negativity and I had been avoiding this film, but upon hearing about the film, I should definitely uh, watch it. Oh, that's um, a blast, man. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I, I do want to add something about the pigeonholing, though. Um, mm-hmm. Because you you have actors like Tom Hanks, Michael Keaton, Robin Williams that show that you don't have to be pigeonholed if you have the talent to break out. Mm-hmm. And so you know it's a shame that Eddie Murphy couldn't do that because uh, I'm sure he does have talent. You know, so the pigeonholing I I think is yeah it's 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 kind of yeah it's there, but I, I think that if you truly had a lot of you know. Uh, motivation and and talent, you can break out of that pigeonhole. Well, I really do believe that. You might be able to, but there is still the stereotyping. I mean, Wes Craven fell into it with being the horror guy, though we knew he could do other things. Right. You know, but it, he, so what did he go and do? He redefined the genre every every so many years, and that's great. You basically take the genre that you're pigeonholed into and make it something that that's your own. You know. Uh, and I think with uh, not to make it on Eddie Murphy at all, because uh, you could almost do a whole podcast just on his career. But I, I think to some of the actors, it depends on their agent as well. That's true. Uh, yeah, they stick with the agent and who the you know brings the project to them. Uh, I have heard some horror stories of some of these actors who you know they've switched agents multiple times because the agent just you know either wouldn't listen to them or bring them. Crap projects. And, well, there's you know, so the, many. Oh, there, oh sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to jump. No, go ahead. There. I was just gonna say. I think. Yeah. I think that that's a, 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 a something that decides it. I think the studio's faith in mm-hmm. uh, in in you. Like for instance, yeah. To, Tom Hanks was able to do this wonderful switch around. For example, it took a while. Because, though, yeah. It took a long while, and um, it was. 
Columbia Pictures basically saying, yeah, you know what? Sleepless in Seattle, that's a flagship summer movie. Philadelphia, we're giving you – we're going to do an Oscar push. Not that he really needed it. He was awesome. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, like – and I don't think uh, as – as good as, you know, and this, boy, how ungrateful. As good as Murphy was to Paramount, I don't think they had his back. Just like I don't think that sometimes other studios had, like, Craven's back when he wanted to do different things sometimes. So he'd have to find ways to work with them and stuff like that, you know. This was it's, his last Paramount movie was Vampire in Brooklyn. If I'm yeah, not- yeah, it's, yeah, I think it was as, as well. And it, just, it, it all kind of goes hand in hand about, like, you know, there's so many different factors at work that de- that decide if you're going to get to do all the things that you can do, and uh, but we're just lucky that we have films like this where we can see like, oh boy, but look what he is capable of. You know, it mm-hmm. does. You don't get to see it full time, but yeah, you get to see it a little bit. That's nice. <laughs> yes. Uh, so great. Uh, Vampire in Brooklyn, love the pick there, Andrew. Uh, I wasn't trying to sell anybody on it that didn't like it. All I was trying to say, no. And if someone perhaps didn't like it, I was just trying to say I didn't give a fuck if. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm going to say this is that one thing I love about the room is uh, the spoiler room is all the picks that you guys bring to any one of these episodes, but also uh, your passion behind the project and give you a different perspective because I think some people get sold into some of the negativity press and go to their Rotten Tomatoes which uh, Astro Radio Z if you haven't seen those episodes go to there there's one where we did an episode uh, where Derek hosted and it was on uh, you know movies that were 0% fresh yet we love and (laughs) we'll sell you on some of them and we get that here you get that passion it's always great to hear someone talk about one of these films that may not have been received well and talk passionately about them because it gives you the different perspective that gets drowned out a lot of times by all the negativity out there by people who either just don't care or think it's cool to hate on the film because everyone else is hating on it rather than giving it an actual chance. So, like Glenn uh, said one time, he's like, Andrew, leave it to the professionals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking awesome. Thank you for listening to part one of our special two-part Wes Craven episode here in the Spoiler Room. Make sure you check out part two, as well as all of our other great episodes listed on iTunes, as well as specialmarkproductions.com. We appreciate you listening and hope you enjoy.